Grace and mercy and peace are yours from God our Father and from our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. This past week, there were two fraternity members who were uh, acquitted of involuntary manslaughter over the death of a, of a fellow student. This was at Bowling Green State University in Ohio. Uh, they were, however, uh, convicted on several counts of illegal hazing. Uh, what had happened was they had uh, uh, pushed a, a fellow student into drinking, I guess, an entire bottle of liquor, finishing off the whole thing, and he died of alcohol poisoning. I would guess that uh, quite a few of you have been through some sort of initiation tradition or, or ritual at some point in your life. All sorts of different groups have them. Uh, they're common at schools, especially with fraternities and sororities. Uh, likewise, sports teams, military groups, a lot of those have them. Hazing is a specific type of initiation. It's defined as initiation process involving harassment. Sometimes new initiates might get woken up in the middle of the night, or they might have to wear silly costumes, or they might have food thrown at them. Uh, other times, it, it really crosses a line. It, it goes too far, and, and like in this, this criminal case, goes way overboard. There, there have been cases involving theft or vandalism, cases where people have been injured, and uh, cases like this where someone died. So you have to ask, why does hazing continue to be so common then? If it can be so bad, why do people insist on doing it? There is actually a purpose, as strange as it may seem. Psychologists have studied this whole thing, and they found that people who have been together in the same stressful situation form a bond with each other. The psych psychologists even found that the, the more stressful the initiation was, the more bonded, the more committed the initiates were afterwards. So hazing can be a real problem, but it, it does have a way of producing a kind of unity. As human beings, we place a lot of value on unity, being united and having bonds with one another. Uh, peer pressure only works because people want to, to fit in. Being a, a loner isn't considered a, a good trait, and it's always been that way. Uh, hermits were always looked on with suspicion, and in the old stories, if there was somebody living out by the, in the woods all by themselves, well, it was probably a witch. Uh, the, this desire for unity is just a simple fact of how God made us. And we're certainly not the only creatures on this earth who uh, desire social bonds. I have an uh, aquarium at home, and one snail is, all, is fine all by itself. Snails don't care about having friends. But a lot of types of fish do. Uh, they need to have a, a school, a group. Otherwise, they, they get stressed, they hide. They might even have a, a shorter life because of it. Birds have flocks, cattle have herds. But as rational and spiritual human beings, this unity that we desire is really something much deeper than anything that's found in the animal kingdom. This past Thursday, we celebrated the ascension of our Lord. Forty days after rising from the dead, Jesus ascended into heaven. He disappeared from the sight of his disciples. Just to someone who doesn't know better, it might look like this is a sad situation, like Jesus is leaving them and us. For up to us, we might have thought that Jesus should stay on earth and continue to gather more and more disciples around himself. 
This is really the, the whole idea of Jesus starting an earthly kingdom, a common idea which was even held among Jesus' own disciples. But what many people didn't understand is that Jesus, in fact, had something much bigger and better in mind. Jesus certainly could have remained on earth and, and started gathering more people into the city of Jerusalem. Or, by ascending into heaven, Jesus could unite people all over the world to himself in faith. And that's exactly what Jesus did. He ascended into heaven to unite his people. John chapter 17 contains what we often call Jesus' high priestly prayer. It's an intercessory prayer, that is a prayer on behalf of other people. That Jesus prayed on Maundy Thursday before heading out to the Garden of Gethsemane. Uh, Jesus began this prayer by praying first for himself, and then for his apostles, and then for others. And what's particularly wonderful about this prayer is that you know, we can sit here and we can read Jesus' words all these years later, like we do with uh, the rest of Scripture, and we're used to contemplating those words of Scripture and making applications to ourselves and our lives. But this is different from many of those passages because Jesus here speaks directly and specifically about us. He said, I am praying not only for them, that is, the apostles, but also for those who believe in me through their message. May they all be one, as you, Father, are in me, and I am in you. Well, who are the, the ones who believe in Jesus through the message of the apostles? That, that's us. Jesus sent his apostles to carry the gospel into all the world. If Jesus hadn't sent them, well, where would we be today? Without the word of God, Jesus' death and resurrection would be nothing more to us than a, a, a curious, unsolved mystery, like ships disappearing in the Bermuda Triangle, or, or ancient artifacts with a, an unknown origins. It's only through God's word that Jesus' death and resurrection means something for us. That's where we see that his dying on the cross wasn't a, a tragic injustice like so many other deaths in the history of the world, but rather his death was the sacrifice for our sins. That's where we see that his resurrection means that we too will rise. And so this gospel then is the thing that brings us together. In, in fact, it was the gospel, rather than the, the personal presence of Jesus, that was uniting people even before his death and resurrection. The, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they saw Jesus' face. He talked with them, sometimes even went to their houses to eat with them. But they didn't believe his word. Other people, like the Roman centurion, whose servant was near death in Luke chapter 7, didn't even have to see Jesus. He sent friends to say to Jesus, I am not worthy to have you come into my house. Just say the word, and my servant will be healed. The prayer and the purpose that Jesus has for those who believe in him through this message is that they be one. But then why is it that we see so much division? Everywhere around us, there are different churches. In our country, even just in the city, there are more churches than can easily be counted. We live in an age when there are more Christian denominations than ice cream flavors, and people treat them the same way. What's your favorite flavor? Tin Roof Sunday? Mackinac Island Fudge? 
Cookies and cream? How about Southern Baptist? Contemporary non-denominational? Charismatic Pentecostal? Or what about Lutheran? ELCA? CLC? LCMS? Wells? Of course, we, we know how this division happens. The simple answer is it's all because of sin. Sin can tear apart the strongest bonds that people have with one another. It, it can ruin marriages and destroy friendships. And it can pull apart churches. We can also see the, the terrible effect that this, this division has had. And it's spelled out by Jesus' prayer. It's the exact opposite of what Jesus prayed for. He, he said, May they become completely one so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you love me. Jesus wanted the, the unity of the church to serve as a witness to the world. He prayed for a church without division, where the bonds of Christian love reign, so that the world would have to stop and exclaim, see how they love one another. And there are many places in the, in, where we can see this, especially in the early days of the church. Being a, a Christian meant one thing. The, the pagans did notice how united they were. When there were problems, representatives from all over Christendom came together to figure it out. That's how we got the Nicene Creed. Could we even imagine that today? What if here, instead of countless Christian denominations, there was just one? Well, what if we all worked together, united with all the other Christians in this city, in this country, in the world. Instead, we see the way that Satan attacks us. Christians get upset with their, their pastor or their church, and instead of working their problems out, they just leave and find a, another church that will welcome them in. People who, uh, desire a church, but they look at the landscape and they feel totally overwhelmed by all the choices. Maybe they give up before they even start. How are they supposed to know which church to trust? And the enemies of the church mock us. You claim to have the truth, they say, but you can't even agree among yourselves what is true. The situation that we're in, it's, it's the opposite of what Jesus prayed for. All this division doesn't glorify God. It's disheartening and discouraging. It affects our own families and our friends. It invites us to doubt. Is Jesus really Lord of the church? But Jesus' prayer was not in vain. Nor is Jesus' glorious ascension into heaven a myth. Nor is he too weak to rule his church. Division is, in fact, an old problem of sin. There were Levites who rebelled against Moses. There were divisions in Israel. The only thing that united the Pharisees and the Sadducees was their opposition to Jesus. Both of Paul's letters to Corinth deal with the divisions that were going on in that church. Sin has always divided us. Ever since it, it first divided us from God in the Garden of Eden, and since it led Cain to murder his brother Abel. But Jesus has ascended into heaven. He continues to intercede for us. And his prayer continues to be effective among those who believe, among us, his disciples. We've been brought into the church through the initiation of one baptism for the forgiveness of our sins. We have one faith, one hope, one Lord. 
You and I can't overcome every division in this world. But Jesus has brought us into this congregation, in this place, in this time, where we can make every effort to be united in his word. We have a a bond with one another, a bond that is stronger than anything that could be brought about by hazing. It's a bond that's, in fact, even greater than the bonds of blood and family because it's a bond that's brought about by the holy blood of Jesus. Jesus ascended into heaven to unite his people to himself. And he's still doing that today. All over the world today, the saving love of Christ is being proclaimed. All over the world, people are rejoicing to know what God has done for them. And finally, on the last day, Jesus will put an end to every division. In heaven, there will be no false doctrines. Let us then stand blamelessly before him. Let us unite and confess his word in all truth and purity so that our God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit may be glorified among us. Our Lord Jesus has ascended on high. He reigns forever. Alleluia. Amen. Please stand. The peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.